Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. Good morning again uh, to Timothy. I would invite you to turn to, and we're going to begin reading in verse 3 all the way to verse 10. Okay, this, this is the word of God. I thank God, this is the Apostle Paul, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, as in the translation here, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline or self-control. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then these next two verses, they're going to be sermons in themselves because they're just so big, but we will cover them to some extent this morning, Lord willing who has saved us and called us to a holy life, verse 9, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. And that is a massive statement right there. We're, we, that's a whole Sunday, and we're going to take it. Who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I came across this story twice before I prayed this week, and the first time I said, I'm going to tell it, and then this, then midweek I said, I'm not going to tell it, and then I came across it again on Friday, and I said, well, I'm going to tell it. It's an old one. You may or may not be familiar, familiar with the Boxer Rebellion in China, 1900, but this was the situation. There was a Christian mission there. I'd been there for a few years, and they had a mission statement in Shang-Chi. During the rebellion... There was a, a huge anti-Christian movement. And so parts of the military sealed off every exit to that mission in Shang-Chi except one. And so they left one gate open, and then they took a cross, and they put it on the ground in the dirt in the center of the gate. Then they said this to all the missionaries and all the students in the school, the mission school, at gunpoint. They said that if you were to walk out of that gate, 
and trample the cross under your feet, then you could go free. And the record states that the first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and they were allowed to go free. The eighth student was a 12-year-old girl. And the 12-year-old girl walked out, knelt down by the cross, and prayed. And the witnesses there said she prayed for strength. She then stood up. She walked across. She walked around the cross. And she walked right into the firing squad. And she was machine gunned down. There were 92 other students behind her. And they all did the same thing as she did. They knelt, they prayed, walked to their death rather than to deny Jesus Christ and trample on his cross. We're going to talk a lot about suffering this morning. And as Kent was reading the scripture and as we were singing, I said to myself, and I wrote it down, you cannot sell suffering, okay? You cannot market it successfully. Every appeal, almost every appeal, the Apostle Paul had to the authenticity of his ministry, he would always speak about his sufferings first, just about every time. So I'm going to try to preach to you something that you can't, I can't sell you, can't market it in a way that it, you know, it's appealing to you, but what I'm going to do with God's help is walk down the line the apostle did to talk to Timothy about not being ashamed of the gospel and to stop being afraid. So let's pray to that end now, all right? Father in heaven, as at the preaching of your word, which you yourself must bless, I mean, if you don't, then it's a waste. We ask that you would please free those of us who for some time now have bondages to fear. Fear so deeply rooted, we don't know where it came from, Maybe so deep that we don't know why we act the way that we do, why, why we turn away from opportunity, why we run from gospel opportunity. And Father, many of us might say that we grow tired of a particular kind of fear, similar to what Timothy encountered here in the text. So we need you to help us. We need you to give us unashamed courage, unashamed gospel courage. And we need to know that the solution does not ultimately lie with us. Therefore, God, what we're asking for this morning is, is you know, and we couldn't ask this if it wasn't for Jesus. We ask for fresh, unusual grace, a grace that is fit for these days in this specific context and in that, would you please take pity on us and set us free from fear, from fears. Touch our tongues, touch our hearts, touch our minds, touch our bodies, which react in such 
weird ways sometimes in fear? As we ask for your help now so that we could be faithful to this text in 2 Timothy, to the praise of your glory and the good of those who will be listening for all time. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That is what Jesus said to Ananias about Saul of Tarsus, better known as Paul the Apostle. You can find it in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. So Ananias was told to go to Straight Street in Damascus where Paul was praying. And this little scene that I just described took place right at the beginning of Paul's conversion. And you'd have to admit, when you hear, I will show him how much he must suffer for you know, my name, that is a difficult thing to hear. It's a difficult thing to hear in just about every context, but we'd have to admit it's doubly hard to hear in our context. We have so many good things which we thank God for in our world. There's so many pleasures which are right and good and true. And yet, there is suffering for the sake of the gospel. So Luke, under God, put that in print in Acts. Paul is going to suffer a lot. And as Paul goes from place to place, because of the gospel, no other reason, okay, no other reason, but because of Jesus, there will be that weight of suffering in his life. And of course, suffering he did, Kent read from 1 Corinthians, I, this is 2 Corinthians 6, this is Paul again, as, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way to you. And this is how he commends himself to his congregation, okay? This is how you know that this is real and authentic and hardships, and troubles, and distresses, beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, through glory and dishonor, bad report, and good report, genuine, yet regarded as an imposter, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, but making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. And, and as you think of what I just read, there is no part of Paul's humanness. So this is his body, his physical body, his mind, his reputation, the very essence of his existence. There was no part of Paul that was not touched at times by suffering for the sake of the gospel. Now that does not mean that, and I'm speaking from from experiential knowledge, okay, which means it does not mean that it's not one thrill of a way to live for Jesus. The deepest joys that you will ever have in your life will be because of Jesus. And it doesn't mean that there are not some deep relationships that are born out of the gospel, as we're going to see here in a moment, and some magnificent times in our existence as human beings on the planet simply because we're Christians. It just means that part of our walk is going to have some suffering. Now, here in this letter in 2 Timothy, Paul is suffering. He's incarcerated. So he's in a dark, damp, and dangerous, filthy Roman prison, and he knows that his end is imminent. So the first question you would ask, okay, is why is he here? And I just want to tell you this. Okay, on the human level, he's in prison because religious people... Indeed, very conservative religious people, people by nature have rejected Jesus' gospel and essentially they had him put there. 
So yeah, it was a Roman cell and the Roman authorities were in charge. But as you read the book of Acts, the, the Roman soldiers and government, they're more like peacekeepers. And they were trying to simply keep the peace, which religious people threaten for their gain, as they often will do. Okay, that's the human reason. The theological reason is suffering is part, as we've said, and we're going to be saying, suffering is part of genuine gospel ministry, of, of a genuine conversion. In other words, when you preach the gospel and you teach the gospel and you stay on that line and you explain it and you live by it and every thread of your life is just soaked in gospel truth and you give yourself unashamedly to the gospel, when you say, and there's, you know, this is going to be a minute, but no apology here because this is the gospel. When you say the righteousness that ultimately pleases God is the righteousness that belongs to God alone and has to come down from heaven to us, that divine, eternal, sustainable, perfect righteousness manifested in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, both actively and passively, that that alone can please God. That bothers people. It converts them and it bothers them. So you can search the entire earth. You can comb through every history book. You can look at everyone in the church, beginning with myself. In fact, you can look at everyone in every church for all time. Now think on that. And you're not going to find an adequate illustration of the obedient, sustainable righteousness that is revealed in Jesus Christ and then accepted by God. Because only in the person of Christ do we, again, find God's perfect, eternal, sustainable righteousness in Jesus' obedience and his righteousness as he took our punishment on the cross. So you think, how could one person absorb all the punishment of all sin for all people for all time? How could one person receive all that punishment and absorb it on the cross? You know, six hours of, of forgive me, hell on the cross. Well, he, he could take an infinite amount of punishment because he is an infinite, infinitely perfect, obedient Savior. Don't get tired of hearing this, but God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived my life and your life. So that we'll never know God's wrath. So that we'll always find in him and him and us satisfaction. And then we'll never be condemned. So the one who never broke a law suffered for the sake of the gospel. You know, Isaiah 53, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him as all our iniquity fell on him. So when you say that, people will be either converted or they'll be mad. And that, in that madness, because it is madness, both madness and madness, it will provide opportunity for you and I to suffer. Which says, and listen carefully, the, the human propensity to reject the grace of God in Christ, is that's frightening. So here in 2 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy, what happened to me because of the gospel is going to happen to you. Timothy, Jesus suffered. Timothy, I'm suffering. And if you hold the gospel ministry, which is, you've got to do it, Timothy. You hold on, you will suffer. However, it appears Timothy is not ready to suffer. That's, that's a base minimum. He needs to write suffering for the gospel into the script of his life and into 
the script of his ministry. So if, if I was making an application right now, I'd say, you just got to plan for it. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be scary. It's going to be so demeaning at times, but it's going to be there. There's no way around it. So how do we know that it appears that Timothy's not ready? Well, it's verse 8. Do you see it there? Paul says, Timothy, and this is, I think this is a central verse of the whole book. Join me, connect with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. When Paul writes that, he, he, he writes in the heiress, active imperatum. This is why I tell you that. This is what it means. Timothy, as of the time of my writing, you are not actively connecting with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You are afraid and you are ashamed to join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. But Timothy, it's imperative. That's the heiress active imperative. It's imperative. It is a command that you do. And so that's the theme of the letter here. And it's definitely the theme of the verses. Timothy, I'm dying. I am suffering because of the gospel. Death is gain, but I'm dying. No, Timothy, you have to have courage. You cannot be ashamed of Christ. You must join with me now in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And remember, this is like a no-brainer, but it has to be said. He's making this appeal under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is a divine word from God to Timothy through Paul. Verse 3, do you see it there? Paul serves God. So that means that every phrase beyond there, every word, every phrase, the lines of thinking, they could not be any better. They could not be any wiser, more accurate. They are perfect in Paul's gospel appeal to Timothy to join, verse 8, to join Paul in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's why you, you can't sell suffering. You can't market it. Now, put yourself in Paul's shoes just for a moment. These are the facts. If you had a young man who you met in your early 20s, and right away you, you made him your colleague in ministry. So for 15 years he has been your colleague in ministry. But after 15 years, which is right around the time of this writing, after 15 years, he's publicly saying that, Timothy, you have not fully thrown yourself into the work of the gospel. He's been alongside Paul. He, he's been in leadership in Ephesus. He went on missions with Paul. But right now, Paul, in this letter, is saying, you have not plunged yourself fully. You have not joined with connected with me into gospel ministry. Okay, what would be the equivalent? Well, the equivalent would be, the, this is too easy, and I apologize for it, but that would be the equivalent of someone going to church for years and years and years, right? But never sharing their faith and never seeing a convert. So if you were Paul and you had a Timothy, what would you do? You know, would you fire him if you could do that? I don't know. Could you fire him? Would you let him go? It's, it's been 15 years. He's going to break fellowship. You go south, I'll go north. In the 15 years, we had a pretty good run, but, you know, it's over now. And look, there, there was Apollos. Remember Apollos in Acts? He was like, could preach. There was Silas. There was Titus. This is what Paul said about Titus, who Paul said, my true son in our common faith. They could have, they could have taken Timothy's place. But under God, the baton is being passed to Timothy. So what we need to do is let's learn how God works through Paul in this appeal. And just two points. Number one, personal appeal. 
And let's just see how the gospel brings people together. So, so as, as believers, right, we just have to come to grips that we're going to suffer. It's part of our calling, right? We don't look for it. We, we don't try to, like, self-induce suffering, you know, or act like, oh, or something. No, just, just it's there. This is Philippians 1.29. Paul tells the whole church, to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. But okay, again, Timothy's not there yet, but look how Paul takes them there. Look how personal Paul begins this appeal. It's just drenched in gospel. Verse 2, if your Bible's open, you are my dear son, Timothy. Okay? 15 years, you haven't joined me fully. You're my dear son. That's very personal language. I mean, just think. God Almighty, through, through one, of the most, one of the most gospel authority, authoritative person on the planet, Paul, has just written to Timothy, I love you. You are like my son. And then verse 3, the same great authority, verse 3, I have you in my mind. I'm translating here a little loose in a continual loop in my prayers. So when I pray, you're always on my mind. Verse 4, remember his tears. Okay, that is, that is a very intimate detail. So we're not told the exact moment, but there was a time when Timothy, in front of Paul, wept. I, I, I was talking to somebody this week, and, I, and it was such a great conversation that I wrote them a card. And the person said they were crying when I was talking to them. And I, you know, I was like, don't cry. And they said, I don't mind crying in public. I don't think I've ever heard that before. They just said it. And I wrote the person a card, and I said, I don't think I cry enough. So there's tears there. There's love there. There's, there's, you know, when you pray for people, you develop a relationship with them. Even if it's just in your head, it's there. Same verse, he longs to see Timothy. It's a belly word, the word longing. It's like, I'm, it's like I need to see you. I will be filled with joy when I see you. Okay, now just, you know, this is not in the notes, but just hold that. 15 years, you haven't really joined with me. But this is the gospel, Right? We're not working for, I don't know, Walmart. We're not works. It's not the thing here. Grace abounds here. And then as you go on, verse 5, he's thinking about his mom and his grandmother and their faith in Christ. And how Paul says, Timothy, I know you're, you're a convert. I mean, I, just, I was thinking, okay, Timothy, after 15 years, he, Paul's like, I know you're converted. I wonder how Timothy reacted to that. He'll be like, of course, you know, it'd be like you coming to me after the sermon. By the way, I know you're converted. I mean, I hope I would take that humbly, but I'd be like, okay. (laughs) So before Paul gets to his appeal, right, to verse 8, to join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, because you're not doing that now, he's giving Timothy all these personal endearments. And every one of those endearments took place only as a result of the grace of God in the gospel. So so first, this is not a technique by Paul. This is not some type of, you know, managerial leadership strategy. This is real love. You know, if God so loved the world that he gave his son, then that love is born in us as Christians. Genuinely born in us. So yes, all people on this planet are precious to the Christian, but especially our gospel family. Second, 
if there's no gospel, right, there's no Paul and there's no Timothy. There's, verse 6, there's no ordination. There's no laying on of hands. That's probably what was taking place there. There's no ministry. There's no gospel. There's no hope. You know, there'd be no meaningful connection with his mom and his grandmother because there'd be no hope of real life after death. It's just, this is it and that's it. And those tears that Timothy shed with Paul, well, you know, you you cry, baby. So what is Paul doing here? What he's doing here is, there's actually a technical name. Theologians call this preaching to the heart. He's preaching to the heart. The the opening verses, there are terms of endearment. He's going to ask something, say something, command something in verse 8. But before he ever gets there, it's like, man, I love you. Okay? We're together. I think about you when I pray. I think about your mom and your grandmother. I think about when you cried. Remember that? And I, I think about the time when I laid my hands on you. Preaching to the heart. And do you know who the first person who did that? It was actually God. This is Ezekiel 16. Israel has failed God miserably. Brutally have failed God. And God's going to tell them. And God's going to say something at the end. But listen to how God begins. Preaching to the heart. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to make you clean. Nor were you rubbed with salt or unwrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of those things for you. Rather, you were thrown into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I, God, passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your your body formed, your hair grew, yet you were stark naked. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water. Wash the blood from you and put put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. And and yet in all your detestable practices and your, your prostitution, you didn't remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and kicking about in your blood. What's he doing? He's preaching to the heart. You know, my dad was perfect at this. God bless him. When he would, when, you know, when I did something wrong, which was perpetual, he had, the, you know the line, oh, Joe, why did you do that? He didn't come in with all guns a-blazing. It's like, oh, Joe, why did you do that? And it went right to the heart. And I, I remember, I'd be like, I don't know. And it was worse than the punishment, whatever the punishment was going to be. God was telling his people right to the heart, don't you remember Remember? So he doesn't begin with a fit of wrath. He's justifiably, he could, he's God, but he doesn't. Paul is doing that same thing. Paul is reaching into and he's influencing the very core of who Timothy is. He's making an impact on the whole person of Timothy, which includes Timothy's emotions. 
I mean, you read this, there is, you read it too quick, you won't see it, but as you read it slowly and think, there's great transparency here. And in any, any degree of transparency, excuse me, there is risk. I mean, sometimes, and this is to my shame, I'm like, I am, I'm talking about me. I'm too tight here. Like me. Just come on. You know, you're too tight. Open up a little bit. But there's risk when you do that. You understand that. Paul is opening up out of his love for Jesus, which fills his heart with love for Timothy. Jesus does that. There's not one moment that Paul is describing here then in this appeal that is untrue and that is not filled with pathos. And I just want you to understand this word. Um, in Paul's letters, ethos, pathos, logos. Ethos is, is the authoritative part. He, he writes, this is who I am. I'm an apostle by God's will. So he wants the readers to trust him. That's ethos. Logos is the actual appeal, the reason, the, the, the logic of his argument, the, the word. But pathos is appeals, appeals to the heart. In almost every letter that Paul writes, right at the beginning, he's telling the people how much. I love you. I care about you. I've heard about you. You're doing great. Keep on. Keep on. The only time he does it is in Galatians, remember? When like, you guys have left the gospel. Holy cow. So he tells, it gives a lot of ethos and then goes right to Logos. Here Paul gives one line of authority, verse 1, one ethos, and then right to pathos. Timothy, you have my heart. You're my dear son. You tie yourself to me for the sake of the gospel. And I don't want you to worry. We're, we're just going to only do this point. I just, <laughs> I just thought it might be too long. It's okay. I don't know if that helps you. <laughs> That's me being transparent. <laughs> How did that work? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, so Martin Lloyd-Jones, he has a great book. It's called Preachers and Preaching. It's, it's one of my favorite books in that genre. But listen to what he wrote. Christians of an earlier time sometimes spoke of sermons as pathetic. Okay? We, of course, would not cross the street to hear preaching if it was pathetic in the modern sense of the word. But our forefathers meant something quite different by this expression, namely preaching that leaves its hearers with a melted heart. The preaching that does this comes from a similar, similarly broken and melted heart that already has placed itself under the grid of Scripture. The conscience repenting from the holiness of Scripture and the Spirit is nourished by the correction, healing, and restorative power of the Scripture so that the man of God, in this case Paul, is equipped to relate to God's Word from his own heart to the heart of Timothy. You, you understand? So, so this is like Paul preaching to himself before he ever preaches to Timothy. You know how hard that is to do? And, and I, I was thinking about this. It just, it's just like father and kids. Every father knows their kids. They, they, you know, every good father really knows their kids. And in really knowing them, they begin to really love them. That's a good father. Everything about them, and yet you love them. And that child will respond to whatever edict you, you know, determine in your family by knowing that you know them and that you love them. Paul knows and loves Timothy. So again, this smacks of nothing of kind of like successful leadership, managerial style, corporate America. You know, we put people in and if they don't produce after so many years, we're going to put them out. This is not that. And God help us if that ever impinges itself in here. Uh, one commentator tried to turn this into verses into a strategy, you know, like, okay, 
let's do this, and then do this, and do this. I mean, men, you know, my God, men, do you kiss your wife that way? First, I will walk into the room. Then I will compliment her. Then I will make my appeal. No, it's like, babe, you are so beautiful. And if I don't kiss you now, I'm going to explode. Then you, you know, if you have something to ask, and I think that you know what's going to happen, usually you'll get a yes if it's real. If it's real and she knows it. Timothy, I'm your true friend. You're like my son. You're my dear son. And again, one of the most authoritative gospel people on the planet is saying to him, I'm praying for you. I think about you in my prayers. Your conversion is real. I'm vouching for you. Family, your ordination, verse 6. I mean, that's... If you've never been through an ordination, it's a very moving moment. It's, it's troubling because you're about to enter ministry. It's moving because you're about to enter ministry. That's Paul's appeal. Timothy, I'm giving you my heart. So yeah, and we'll get to the second part next Sunday. But this is what I want you to know. So Timothy, I'm dying. I'm suffering because of the gospel. Death is gain, but I'm dying. Now, Timothy, you have to have courage. You can't be ashamed of Christ. You've got to join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You, you're not doing it right now, but you must. You know, I just wonder, is that, is that like a personal word to us? And you have to be your own judge. You cannot be ashamed of Christ. You've got to join with Jesus in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You're not doing it right now. But you must. Don't be afraid. In my, you know, you spend a week with the text. I was repenting a lot. Because I can think of specific situations right now where I don't join in the suffering and there's a, not a, there's a little bit of shame. <laughs> After 15 years, <laughs> it's there. Darn it, it's there. I don't want it there. I don't want it there. Let's pray. God and Father, please keep us in the warmth of your love. Keep us in the strength of your arms. Thank you that those arms will never let us go. Thank you that you want the very best for us. And in the asking... You know, you are such a gentleman. You appeal to the inner person, to our hearts. Pathos, emotion, sure, you're going to get to the, the head eventually, but you appeal first to the heart. It's so endearing. You don't scream. You don't yell. You don't make threats. You don't measure. Not in Christ. And so we pray for the grace as we, Lord willing, come back next week to not be ashamed of the gospel. From this week to next week, may there be growth. Our fears taken away. Those moments which we know about when fear comes that they would not come and we would be more like our Savior and our friend and our King, our beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by the sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in his church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 